Uh, but right now, we're going to talk some football or soccer. I have to call it soccer because it's the soccer ashes we're talking about. Uh, by the way, can I officially lodge a protest? Can we not call it the soccer ashes? Anyway, the football ashes trophy, I, I will say, is up for grabs for the first time in almost seven decades uh, between our All Whites and the Socceroos of Australia. The meeting in London tomorrow morning. Uh, it was exactly 100 years ago the ashes were created from the remains of cigars smoked by two opposing captains. Uh, Alex Gibb from Australia and New Zealand's George Campbell, when they met in a series in 1923. They met again the following year, and it was there where the idea was hatched. Uh, the concept of the Ashes was thought up by the New Zealand team manager, Harry Meyer, a well-renowned trophy maker. He designed a casket made from a combination of New Zealand honeysuckle and Australian maple. Inside it, the Ashes were stored in a silver razor case that had been carried at Gallipoli, during the landings during World War One, Now, it's been out of sight, out of mind, because I understand it's been in someone's garage for a number of years, and it was stumbled upon, quite bizarrely. Um, I'm not sure if a little dog uh, found it in a bush like the, uh, the the World Cup in England all those years ago. Uh, but New Zealand and Australia playing in football, I hope this is a sign this is going to happen regularly. Uh, it certainly would indicate so. Paul Eiffel joins us, one of the finest minds going around. So of course, now former Wellington Phoenix for these days, uh, coaching. Teams to great success, finger on his pulse, uh, on the pulse as far as football in this country is concerned. Mr Eiffel, great to hear from you, friend. How are you doing? Hello, I'm not bad. How are you? Good, mate. I'd like to know what is the lost treasure in the back of your garage you would likely find if you actually cleaned it out? Uh, video games. <laughs> Sega, what, Mega Drive, Sega Master Systems, Nintendos, yep, all of them. I have, uh, Super- I've been a collector over the years, so there'll be plenty of that around. Wow, so Super Mario Brothers, an obvious one yeah. for Nintendo. What about Mike, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out? Oh, I was a big fan of that. Yeah, I like that. So, uh, Super Mario Kart was probably my favourite, if I'm honest. Nice. Yeah, so, it, it, yeah, and so. FIFA 1998, something like that? I like the early ones because I was on a couple of them when, when I started playing. So the, the early, early ones, the 98s and the 2000s, I was awful. Um, <laughs> I, I got a little better. No, when, when Ultimate Team started, I was on that. Um, and that was that right. was quite exciting to be on your first video game. Um, didn't right. last too long, unfortunately. Miss, miss well, how exciting is this? How exciting is this? New Zealand and Australia to play in a really one-off exciting. game, let, let alone yeah. per, perhaps you know more consistently. Oh, I think it's really important. Um, I think it's important that, that New Zealand get games at that level, and I think it's been great, you know, to see them play against Congo. A few days back, and then get another good game against um, the Australians, and you know, long way this continue. Yeah, unfortunately, there's so much sport going on, so it's probably not going to be ele- elevated to the level that it could have been if you know the space was cleared with all these World Cups going on. But do you think done well over you know a sustained period that this could really capture the interest of both New Zealand and Australian sports fans and, and become a really well supported annual fixture? Yes, it would, be, it would be helpful if it was out this side of the world, I think, to be honest. Um, I think the timing and where it is is not great. Um, you know, we will get to see it on TV, which, which is cool, but I think, you know, next year it, it needs to be New Zealand one year, Australia the next, if, if possible. Um, and, and like I said, get the timing right out of the way of, you know, the Rugby World Cup and cricket going on. There's a lot of stuff going on. So if we can get that right moving forward, I think it could become a good, a very good annual fixture. Yeah, it would be wonderful if it was played on these parts. You've hit the nail on the head there. Uh, the neutral venue, though, does that help hinder the All-Whites? Oh, I don't think it matters particularly. Um, it would be nice to play on a decent pitch in a decent stadium. Um, 
they'll be looking forward to that. I think for them, it's just nice to get together. And, and for the first time in a little while, they've probably got nearly everybody to pick from. Um, nice to have Sarpreet back. Um, you know, he's, he's had a tough time over the last couple of years. So it's, it's great to see him back in there with his creativity. So I think he'll make a big difference. Where does he fit in your ideal 11? Fits at 10 if you if you play the right way. I mean, look, he's somebody that is not particularly good on the defensive side, but he's so good on the offensive side that you kind of um, forgive him that and just get him as much ball as possible. And I think if you can get him a lot of ball when you've got you know Chris Wood in front of him, um, Woods, he certainly gets more chances when Sarpreet's in the team. I'm sure of that. What do you make of the Australians? They're fresh off playing England and losing by one goal to nil. Now, Australia has been in England in the past, that golden generation, you know, Emerton and Kuehl and, and Kale and the like in 2003. They're probably not as daunting on paper, but you saw what they're capable of at the World Cup. So they start pretty warm favourites, or is it raging hot favourites? No, I think they're very, very hot favourites, to be honest. I think they'll be, they should be too strong if you look at where you know, most of their players are playing and what they did against England, uh, like you said, in the last couple of days. But uh, it is a one-off game. Um, you know, as Kiwis, they're not going to let this one go easily, that's for sure. I, I think it'll be a decent, decent fixture. Um, and any result wouldn't really surprise me. I think, um, I think sort of New Zealand football's not in a bad spot at the moment. Like I said, they have got everybody back. So um, if everybody's fit, then uh, I'm looking forward to a very good game. And that's the thing. You look at that Australian side, there's nothing to fear, right? There's no, nothing to fear. No, I just think they've had more, they've had better, bigger games more recently than, than New Zealand have, that's all. So they're sort of tried and tested, I suppose, on the international stage. New Zealand, not so much in recent times. But like I said, it, that seems to be ramping up. Um, New Zealand football seems to be doing a good job of getting decent fixtures. Um, and if that can continue, you know, we can bridge the gap. Um. Chris Wood obviously banged home that penalty against Congo, a one-all draw. That's significantly higher on the FIFA rankings. I don't know what that means, Paul. What does it mean? But that we should be happy with that result, that the team will take some confidence from a draw against the Democratic Republic of Congo? Yeah, I think so. Um, you do take have a little look at the, at the rankings. Um, it's always hard to judge because somebody like the... Democratic Republic of Congo will be getting a lot more games, um, you know, against African nations, obviously. Um, so that does sort of mean their rankings will be higher than ours, regardless of, of what we're doing, I suppose, if you look at it like that. Um, but a, a decent result, decent game. You know, they've got some very good attacking threats um, from Congo. So I, th- I think, again, nothing to fear from the Australians. It's not like you said to the golden generation where you're worried about your Cahill and your Kules and people like that. I don't think anybody in that, in that side to worry about too much um, you know arguably Chris Wood is still the the best player of the two sides so um, I think they've got something to fear the other way Paul and tell me if I'm wrong here I've heard a narrative around New Zealand football for the last few years gee we're, we're really developing some fine technical players uh, there's a lot of young talent there it, it could blossom but I still see an inability to score regularly um, why or, or am I not reading the tea leaves correctly yeah, no, I, I agree, and I, I've said it for a number of years since I've been here. I don't think we're very good at producing forwards. I think if you took Chris Wood out of it, who's the next guy that's going to bang, you know, put the ball in the back of the net on a regular basis? I think we've got guys that are good wingers, um, good attacking players. You know, you, the Marco Rojas is over the years. Costa, um, who have we got now? Like Callum McCower, Elijah Just. There's a lot of really good footballers, but I don't think any of them are regular goal scorers. Um, that may change, um, but I think it's something that 
New Zealand football, us coaches that are out, out and about doing things, we need to really look into that. I just don't think we, we produce enough forwards for, for whatever reason. We need to look into it. Paul Eiffel is with us. We're looking at the uh, soccer ashes. Uh, Chris Wood, though. Chris Wood, and, and this, I think, snuck past a lot of us here in New Zealand. I, I'm sure some reported it, but it probably didn't get the fanfare it deserved. Uh, he's at a major milestone now of 200 Premier League matches. Um, do you think we take him for granted in New Zealand, his, his career? <laughs> Massively. Yeah, 200, 200 games in the Premier League is actually ridiculous, yeah. Um, that's a crazy record. Uh, as someone who didn't play too many at all, but was in there for a little while. I know how hard it is. Um, and, you know, he's a, he's a big boy who gets bad from pillar to post in every game he plays. So um, it's hard enough just being able to get up for, for each game and, and get yourself ready. But to be able to play at that level for that long, yeah, no, it's fantastic, fantastic effort from Chris. Yeah, so, so what, you know, how should we view him? You know, how should we oh, look, revel in what he, he has he, done? Yeah, when it's all, when all is said and done and, and, and he's finished, I'll probably think we'll look back and go, he's top three all time. I think, um, you know, there's always a recency bias and I'm not going to go back, you know, way, way back because I didn't see enough of the players back then. But I mean, obviously, Winton is, is known as the greatest I think we've ever produced um, Ryan Nelson would be in the in the conversation and I think if you've got a Mount Rushmore I think Chris Wood is on it well I think he's played 500 professional games because you forget how many years he was in the championship and you know that's a damn yeah. hard league as well it's incredible he's always available coaches love yeah. that and he's always available for this nation too he clearly loves pulling on the uh, the New Zealand shirt doesn't he and that that captures huge admiration from me I think that's the other thing. Um, you know, he's, he's playing in the Premier League. He's played a lot of games in the Championship. You're, you're asked in the Championship. You're asked to play 50 odd games a season, but it doesn't matter when the game is. If if he's fit, um, he makes himself available. Even when he's not fit, there's times when he still comes back um, to be around the boys and, and make himself available in a different capacity. So, I think he's been an amazing advocate for for New Zealand football in general, um, and he's still flying the flag. All right, let's buzz through some other uh, topics before we let you go. Um, Confirmation. Well, it seems it's not it's not rubber stamped completely, but it does seem uh, the owner of Bournemouth AFC and part owner of Lorient um, will be the financier to the next New Zealand-based A-League side in Auckland. How big a deal is this for football more broadly, Paul? The the, the idea of a second A-League club. Oh, it's massive, massive. If, if you're a young young boy or girl coming through now, you looking and saying, "Well, my chances of being a professional have just doubled." pretty much, um, you know, going to be a whole new academy, women's team, men's team. Um, I, I think it's great. I think it's, it's well needed. I, I, I think we should be aiming for a third. I think there, there needs to be three professional teams, at least in New Zealand. But to get to double the quota at this point, I think is, is massive. It might not be fly by the city of pants as much as the Wellington Phoenix over the first few years of, of their iteration. But what have the Phoenix done well and maybe done poorly that you think the new club should focus on sort of avoiding and matching? Um, I think oh, that would take too long to go through all that. I'll pick out a couple of bits. I suppose it's really important to get your imports right in season one. And maybe the Phoenix didn't do that. Again, I wasn't here, but I've heard some, some stories. Um, oh, yeah. Also really, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's also really important to make sure you get the best of, of the locals. Um, and I think they've had time to look at that and, and we were able to do that. Um, 
it's really important to get the right people in place for your academy. Um, I think it took a long time for the Phoenix to get that right. They're now producing players. Um, it's going to be interesting for the Phoenix on the flip side as well because all of a sudden you've got competition. And I think that is great for football in New Zealand, the fact that you know the Phoenix Academy will be judged now because you've got another academy doing the same thing, going to the same players, and, and both sides have to up their game. So I think it's, I think it's massive. Yeah. And how do you judge, and you've had a successful domestic club season yourself, Paul. You, you know what the talent is like at the grassroots level. Um, how is that talent base growing? It is growing. People are doing a good job. Um, there's a lot of independent academies doing a good job. There's a lot of, um, oh, I'll call them semi-professional academies. If you look at the likes of Olay, they've been doing a great job over the years. I think us at Christchurch are doing a pretty good job. Um, you've got um, winners up north. You've got the Auckland United Academy. So there's a lot of people in that space doing good jobs. There's some good kids being nurtured. Um, but they get an opportunity to, to be nurtured for two clubs now. So I think it, that's that's really cool. Um, I think there's a lot, enough players in our national league that given the right circumstances and the right environment could become professionals. So I think it would be exciting for the guys, you know, sort of late teens, early 20s that have been good players in that national league. Well, they've got an opportunity to get in front of the right people now and, and put their best foot forward and see if they can get a professional deal. Brilliant stuff, Paul. Thanks so much for taking the time as always, mate. Um, get into no the back of that garage and find Super Mario Kart. <laughs> I'll do what I can, mate. <laughs> Appreciate your time, Paul Eiffel, joining us on the programme.